Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So I do want to ask, so it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Yeah! Awesome. So I have a few questions for everybody, including the kids who are with us. I want to ask you a couple questions about your siblings. So if you have siblings, now be honest, even if they're in the room, you can't lie in church, okay? Uh, So here we go. How many of you would say that you are a lot alike, at least one of your siblings? Okay. Okay. A lot of you. You think you're a lot like your brother, Kennedy? Okay. If you say so. Um, how many of you would say, if, especially if you, have, if you have already said yes and you only have the one sibling, well, then you've already answered. But if you have another sibling or you didn't answer, how many of you would say, I am nothing like one of my siblings or my sibling? Complete opposites. Grew up in the same home, same parents, same upbringing. Okay, so it's kind of split, about half and half. It's interesting. Or some of you are like, I have more than one and I'm like them and not like them. Totally get that. Now, parents, let me ask you a really tough question. How many of you have a favorite kid? Wow, man, hands went up quick. I was, I was not expecting that at all, but whoo, okay. Breaking up families one at a time here at First Century Church. All right, that's, that's what we're doing. So we're in this series called Bedtime Stories, a three-week series, and what we're doing is we're looking at very, like some of the most famous stories in the entire Bible, ones that most of us adults know by heart and one that a lot of kids know really well so we can all stay engaged together. And uh, so this week, we're going, I'm going to retell a story that Jesus told, and it's called The Prodigal Son. A lot of us probably know that story or you're familiar with it. So I thought instead of reading like 20 verses uh, or so, I would just retell the story. And I have a few friends that are going to help me. Uh, it's really me. But I have some friends that are going to help me tell this story. I've got to make sure I got this right. I think I got these backwards. Okay, so we're going to tell this story about, it's called the prodigal son, but I'm going to call it the prodigal sons or the lost sons, okay? So here's how the story goes. One day, a father had two sons. See where we're going with this? Father, father had two sons. He had a younger son, younger son, I forget which one, and an older son. So one day, this is the younger son. We'll come back to you in a minute. You're not here later on. All right. So one day, the younger son tells the father, he says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance right now. And so the dad, I got you ready, hands over the cash to the younger son. And he leaves. And that makes the father sad. See that? He was happy. Now he's sad. All right. So the younger son goes off into a distant land. And what does he do? You know what he does? He makes it rain, baby! Woo! All right? He goes and he blows his entire inheritance, the younger son here. And when he does that, guess what that makes him? Sad and poor. That's correct. 
So now the younger son had all this money, had his entire inheritance, and now he's blown it all. Bad investments. The Bible says wild living. Now he's very sad. He gets even more sad because not only is he broke, but now there's a famine in the land. There's no rain, which means no crops, no food. And so he decides, what am I going to do? So he, take, he gets a job. He gets a job working with pigs, which for this Jewish guy is a no-no because that's an unclean animal. So he gets so desperate, he is so broke, that he starts eating food with the pigs. He is still very sad. So then he has a wake-up call, and he decides, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home and see if my dad will take me back in. And so he decides, I'm going I'm to go back and work for my dad. I'm going to be like a hired servant for my dad. And so he goes back home. The father's still at home, very sad because his son left. And so, but here's what happens is he sees his son coming from afar off, and now he's happy. Yay, my son. And so they have this conversation, and the younger son says, okay, dad, I messed up. I've sinned. I've blown all my money. I've, I've brought shame to our home, to our family. And so I've come back to now work for you as a servant. Will you take me back? And the father says, absolutely. Let's get, get your robe, get your ring. We're going to throw a huge welcome home party. It's going to be awesome. So now the son is happy again, and the father's happy again, and things are great, and they're going to throw this huge party. However, we haven't got to the older son yet, have we? Here's the older son with his nice manicured beard. Look at him, right? So the younger son comes in from working, and he says, what is going on? What's with the party? What's the occasion? And one of the other servants says, well, your brother came back home. And yeah, he you know, ruined his life and got rid of all his money, and now he's broke. But he's come back, and your father's taking it back. Your brother's back. And the brother, older brother is not very happy about this. He becomes angry. You like that? Angry. Ooh. And he has, he has a conversation with dad. Dad, who's really happy right now because his son's come back. He says, hey, dad, what's up with this? Why are you throwing my loser brother a party? He left. You gave him what he wanted. You gave him his money. He blew it. He ruined his life. Why are you letting him back in? Why are you, why are you looking so happy right now, dad? And he says, well, your brother was basically dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. He was away, and now he's back home. This is reason for celebration. You should be like this, not this. And the brother's like, I'm not coming to the party, Dad. That's not fair. He says, I've worked for you my entire life. I've been faithful and loyal to you. I've never done anything wrong against you. I never got a party. I never had my friends over. I never got a cake with candles. Like, I never got this. What's the deal? And the dad says, well... This makes me sad to hear this, but I'm happy that your brother's home. If you want to come in and join the party, you know where to find us. And that's how the story of the prodigal son ends. Uh, Thank you. All right. So me and my buds made it happen. All right. So I got all this money here. I'm feeling, woo, this is awesome. All right. This is a good offering this morning. Thank you for your giving today. All right. So classic story that Jesus tells about these two brothers, and they're both very much the same. That's why I started out at the beginning with, are you, like your, are you like your sibling or are you not like your sibling? Typically, we focus on the younger brother, the one that runs away, the one that, the one that screws up. But the, in fact, his older brother who stays at home is just, is just as lost as the younger one. And we'll talk about that here this morning. So there's really four quick observations that I want to make about this story, two about the sons and two about their father on this Father's Day Sunday. 
So the brothers are very much alike because what we see here is they are both extremely selfish. Both brothers are selfish. Now, the younger brother is much more obvious, right? Because he says, Dad, give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me my inheritance. You know, he's, remember Veruca from Willy Wonka? I want it now, Daddy. You know, he, he's basically the male version of her. Just imagine, you know, her as a, as a man. And again, here's the thing. These sons, they are not children, they are grown, maybe middle-aged men at this point, and he's behaving in this way, extremely selfish. He's impulsive. He's short-sighted. And if you think about it, his selfishness actually cheats him out of money. He's so ready to have it now. Here's what he basically does. He says, hey, Dad, I want my $5 million up front instead of $20 million later on. Can you imagine making that trade? But he's so impulsive, so selfish, he actually cheats himself because he's still working to to build on his inheritance. He's working at it. He's investing it. He's working the land. He's investing in their home that's going to be partly his one day. And so he's cheating himself out of a huge fortune here just because he's so selfish. And then, of course, his selfishness causes him to blow his entire inheritance. I don't know how quickly you could burn through, I don't know how much this is, but how much you could burn through maybe a a million dollars. It would probably take a while, wouldn't it? Really? You better pray you marry a doctor or somebody, girl. Okay, we're going to pray for that right now, some kind of attorney or something. Anyway, so I don't know, maybe, let's just say 10 million. I don't know how much this guy had, but he went through all of it in a very short period of time. He wasn't thinking, he wasn't planning, he was just like, make it rain, baby, and he wasn't keeping track in the register, he wasn't looking at his bank account online, he didn't download the app to his phone to keep track of where everything was. He's just like, oh, it'll never run out, right? Until it did. And what his selfishness ended up getting him was not only working with pigs, an unclean animal, he's not allowed to be around them as a Jewish person, but he was eating what they ate with them. So when they ring the the triangle, he's coming with the hogs for dinner time. After he feeds it to them, he joins in. That's what the selfishness got him. That's that's an obvious part of the story. But what what may not be so obvious is that the older brother is just as selfish. Because when the father has this party, he refuses the invitation. He will not go in. You know why? Here's what he says. He says, why are you throwing him a party? He's the loser kid. He's the one that left. He walked out on the family. I've been here. It's about me now. It's my time. It's my turn. It's about what I have. I want this. He got what he wanted. Now you're going to give him even more? Are you kidding me, Dad? Like, this is not fair. That's really his complaint. It's not fair. You've always babied him. You've always pampered him. He clearly has always been your favorite because I've been here doing my thing day after day, working with you, never complained until now, right? That's, that's funny. He's complaining about not complaining. Well, he's complaining now. But he says, oh, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. I can just imagine this. I'm just going to assume her last name was Smith, even though it wasn't. And so you would imagine if it's a father and son business, they have a big sign out front, Smith and Sons. I can just imagine as soon as the younger brother leaves town, the older brother gets on a ladder and takes that last S off. Now it's Smith and Son. And he's buried that S somewhere in the backyard. I am, he's not getting his S back, Dad. He, you know, that S is now mine, and I'm going to keep it there underground. Like, he's basically dead to us. It's about me now. This younger brother is extremely selfish. He's entitled. And what he does is tricky because he covers it in self-righteousness. 
That's why it's hard to really see what he's doing here because I've been faithful. I never left. I've worked hard. He's the messed up one. He's the one that ruined everything. He's ripped our family apart. He's caused you so much grief. But I, no, no, I've been here and I've remained faithful. He's, he's couching it in this language that makes it difficult to see, but he's being extremely selfish just like his younger brother. Brother, the brothers are all, or both sons are also similar in that they're both extremely offensive toward their father. Their actions are incredibly offensive toward their father. So in this culture in the Near East, ancient Near East, it's what we call an honor-shame culture. Everything that you do brings honor to your family and your family's name and your heritage, or it brings shame upon your house. Everything is seen in that way. Societies worked in that way. Even little towns would work in that way. You would be shamed and shunned if you did something to bring shame to your family. It puts a black mark on the entire group. I remember a friend of mine growing up, his dad was all would say something when his kids got older, they were teenagers. He would always remind them before they went out with friends, he would say, don't forget your last name because I gave it to you because it's mine first. And so that's the same type of idea here. So both brothers here are extremely offensive. They bring shame to their father and their family. Again, the younger one is much easier, uh, but we'll talk about both. So the younger one says first, he says, give me my inheritance now. Typically, you get an inheritance when? When that family member's dead. So in essence, what this son is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff so bad. Get out of the way, old man. Push you aside. You're basically dead to me. Give me what's coming to me, and I'm going to live my life the way that I want to. I know what's best for me. You ever heard that part from your kids before? I know what's best, or I know everything. Or let me tell you how life works, dad, mom, you know, and they're eight years old. That never happens to us at our house. Yeah, exactly. And then the other part that's offensive is when he gets his inheritance, he leaves. Typically, for the most part, what you would do in this culture when you receive your inheritance is it's, you just kind of get it. It's there. It's the home you're already living in. It's the land you're already working. It's the business you already own with your brother and your dad. You may, you may get a share of that and, and move like across the street, but you're not going to leave town and just be like, I'm out, guys, shaking the dust off my feet of this little crummy town. I'm out of here. That's offensive to the family. Then obviously he dishonors his father by squandering the inheritance. He clearly doesn't value it enough to hold on to it, to keep track of it. He shows dishonor. He shows offense to his father and his family by blowing everything he earned, that he was given. And then to top it all off, when he's at his lowest point, he has the gall to come back home. Like that, that would be offensive because now the father has a decision to make. Do I do what? my society would tell me to do and continue to shun my son he's brought shame on us he's basically dead to us that's why even at the end the father said to the older brother your son was dead and is now alive again he meant that pretty literally in this culture when what the son has done is basically cut ties completely off the family he basically is non-existent to them and he is non-existent to all of them it works both ways here this is how this society works. So he comes back and, and begs for a job, and he puts the father in this position. What are the neighbors going to say if I let this loser kid back home? What, what are they going to say? What is the gossip in town going to be about me? It's going to bring possibly more shame to myself. So he's offensive to his father. The older son is also, he's sneaky about it again, but he's equally offensive. 
and he offends him by not taking up the invitation to go to the party. And his selfishness, his, his attitude is very much, hey, Dad, I know better than you. Hey, Dad, I, you're, be t- you're being taken for a fool, Dad. Like, he's insulting his father in, in sort of this crazy way, saying, Dad, you're being played for a fool. You're being stupid. You're, why, why can't you see through what little kid brother's doing here? He's breaking your heart. He's done it already. Now he's doing it again. Now he's putting you in this position, and he's trying to tell his dad how to live his life, which would be highly offensive even now, but especially in this honor-shame culture. Your dad just does what he does, and you just go with it, and that's just how life worked then. Maybe how it should work now, but, you know, that's... That's a, that's a sermon for a different day. We'll get there. We won't do that today. But now how does the father respond to all of this? That's really the key to this story that Jesus tells, this parable. The father is obviously heartbroken by both sons. He's been wounded deeply by both sons. He's been, the things that have been said about him and against him and things that have been said to him, he's just shattered One son wants him dead and wants his stuff and leaves town and says, you're dead to me and blows his inheritance. The other son is stubborn and hard-hearted and won't forgive, won't accept. So what what is going on here? What is the father to do? Well, there's two things that he does in this story that are powerful, and that's the point that Jesus tries to make and I want to make today on this Father's Day. The first idea is that the father is patient with both sons. The father is patient with both sons. Because what he does with the younger son is he actually gives in to this little terrorist's demands. He gives the son what he demands. He doesn't have to. He's under no obligation to do so, but he's patient enough. He understands his son well enough to know, I need to give him room to do what he's going to do. If, if I hold on to him too tightly, I'm going to lose him forever. He will resent me until the day I die. It will not end well. If I dig in my heels and I put my claws in, I say, you're not going anywhere. How dare you speak to me that way? You know, go back to your room. Go in the corner. He's probably like a 40-year-old man, you know. Go to your corner, you know, you 40-year-old. Uh, he's he's going to lose him. So he is patient with him. Now, we might look at that and say, that's really bad parenting. But I would say patient parenting in this case, and I think in a lot of cases, pays off one way or another. Because he knows I can't control him forever. I can't hold on to him. Patience will save the day. And so what happens, though, is that his patience his giving him room to fail, giving him an opportunity to blow it, which he does royally and quickly, paid off. Because then the second way that he's patient is that he waits and watches for his son to return. The father is hoping one way or another, I really hope I see this kid again. You know, best case scenario, he's taken the money, he's invested it well, he's grown, he's, you know, maybe he's going to come back richer than ever and say, hey, dad, told you so, at least I'll see my son again. Even if he's proven me wrong, even if I'm like, well, okay, I guess that was the right thing to do after all, I didn't think it was, but either way, or what actually happens, you know, he's thinking, okay, You know, he's praying for his safety, for his well-being. I hope that if he comes back, that he comes back here, that he doesn't go to other means to try to get money back. I hope he doesn't, you know, get into seedy sort of lifestyles here. He doesn't get himself in any danger in these decisions that I'm hoping he doesn't make. One way or another, the father shows patience with this younger son. But he also shows patience with the older son because he tries to reason with him. He tries to have a conversation with him about... Please come to your brother's party. 
It's your brother. He's come back. We've, we've accepted him. He's one of us again. And yeah, we're going to have to work out details. And yeah, it might be messy. And you may not really want to, but you need to come to the party. He doesn't just say, you're going to do what I tell you because you're my son. You're going to come to the party now. Again, he, he's, he's risking this other son resenting him forever. And he still might. Again, as we'll talk about in a second, the story's left wide open. We don't know how the story ends, and that's kind of the point. But he's patient with him. He doesn't cut off the son and say, you know what, you're just as bad as he was. You're just as selfish as your kid brother was. You think you're so self-righteous. You think you're doing me a favor. You're whining and complaining, and you should know better. Like, and that's what the father tells him. He says, hey, listen, son, look around. Everything you see is yours. Your brother already blew his portion. He's got nothing for the rest of his life. He's basically going to be your servant for the rest of your life. All of this belongs to you. That's the payoff. He tries to reason with him and not just argue with him. He shows patience. Then the thing that is even more amazing uh, that really gets to the heart of this message is that the father forgives both sons. Both sons have behaved badly, to say the least. They've been offensive. They've been hurtful. They have said and done things that some fathers may never get over. And yet this father does it almost immediately. That's how amazing this, this father is in this story. So for the younger son, when he comes back home, the father immediately, it says he sees him coming from afar off. He runs to meet him, which again, culturally, dads don't do that. I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but culturally, this is really a way to dishonor yourself. I'm going to run out in the dirt and like get sweaty. Like I'm, I'm, I'm the dad. I'm the patriarch. I don't act that way. I walk slowly, and I'm, you know, I do what I want. And he runs out, and he meets him, and he hugs him, and kisses him, and says, "You're back. You're back. This is great." And even before the son can get this prepared speech, of, "Okay, dad, I've been thinking, and I decide I'm going to work for you." The dad's like, "No, no, stop, 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 stop. Get the robe. Get his ring. We're going to throw a party." Like he doesn't even have time to spit out an apology before the father has wrapped his arms around him. And he, the, the son, again, has intended to come back as a hired servant. He knows he's lost his place in the family. He knows that he's cut them off in a way that culturally can't really be undone. And yet the father says, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're not playing that game. You're my son. You always have been, always will be. That's just how it works in this house. We don't have to live like everybody else. We can break some cultural norms because we know it's, that's the right thing to do. He restores the son to his proper place. And again, as we already said, the father forgives this son at possible great expense to himself because he's bringing more shame to the family by acting in a way that is not culturally normal. No, no, no. That's weak. You're supposed to keep him far off. You're supposed to keep him cut off. He doesn't deserve a second chance. He's blown his inheritance. What, what else can you give him if you don't steal from your other son? And that's what the other son's really probably concerned about, right? And so he's breaking all these cultural norms out of love out of forgiveness for his son. The question is, how does the father forgive the older son? What does he do here that involves forgiveness to this son? And it's the same idea, is no matter what the older son says, no matter how he behaves, no matter how ugly he is to his father, he keeps the invitation wide open to him. He doesn't say, I'm going to count to three, and if you don't get in there right now, I'm turning this car. No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't give an ultimatum. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to cut you off and give it to him if you don't get in here right now. No, he forgives him even without an apology being offered. 
This son at the end of the story is still there fuming at his father, still there unwilling to forgive his brother, still there getting hard-hearted toward his own father. He's, he's, that's where the story ends, and Jesus does this on purpose because he shows the father's forgiveness toward both sons. Is, he initiates it. He's not waiting for, you know, a five-page, single-spaced written apology from the son to forgive him. He's not waiting for, oh, you know, I need to give you this list of why I'm sorry, and he doesn't need to hear anything. He's like, nope, I've seen enough. So he forgives the younger son, restores him back as his son, and then leaves the invitation open to the older son, even though he has every right not to. The father in this story shows incredible patience and forgiveness, and that's the purpose of this story that Jesus tells is to explain what God is like to each of us. That's the whole point of this parable, is to basically say at one time or another in all of our lives, we've been at least one, or if not both, of these brothers. At some point in our lives, spiritually, we've run from God. We've offended God through sin. We've said, okay, God, I can live life better without you. You're dead to me. You don't even exist in my life. I'm going to, you know, maybe I was raised that way or I grew up that way. Not anymore. I know better now. I'm enlightened now, and I I know better than you now. We're sometimes just like the younger son. And what happens is we end up in the same spiritual condition, sometimes even financial, social, uh, relational condition as the son. We're alone. We're helpless, we're broke, we're friendless, we're hopeless. Like there's nothing in our life because we've run away from the Father, from the Father's house. Sometimes some of us are like the older son. Well, they don't deserve forgiveness because I've been faithful and I'm getting my reward and they're going to get what they deserve. That's what the older brother wants. He wants fairness. It's not fair that you're bringing him back. It's not fair that you forgive him. I didn't get a party. I've been faithful. I deserve it. Where's my my fatted calf, Dad? Where's my balloons and confetti, Dad? I didn't get that. Sometimes spiritually, if we're not careful, we can live life that way. Well, I deserve more than them because I've been faithful. Or I never walked away from God, and so he owes me more. And it's not fair that he's blessing them, and they're not even hardly, you know, living a Christ-centered life. Too often we can be like the older brother, which is equally as bad as the younger one. And sometimes we've been in both, right? If we've lived long enough, we've probably been in both shoes at some point. But the point, the moral of the story is what the father is like. How in whatever sin, whether it's like over, just out there, you know, doing crazy stuff like the younger son, or it's a self-righteous, judgmental, hard-hearted, sinful nature that we might have, either way, our Father is patient with us and forgives us. A couple scriptures as we close today. 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, that's his promise to return, the second coming of Christ, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God doesn't rush to judgment. God doesn't look at someone's failure and say, ha, 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 another one bites the dust. He doesn't act that way. He never says, I told you so. He, you know, like, remember, the father could have, should have culturally said, yeah, I tried to warn you. You didn't want to take that. I, try, I knew you weren't ready. I, this is not how it worked. He doesn't do that. That's the same way God is. He doesn't gloat over our failure. He doesn't, you know, yay, they sinned. This is great. I love this, you know. Less kids to have to take care of now. He doesn't act that way. He doesn't punish in anger out of like a knee-jerk reaction. That's, and that's even what Peter's saying. Because sometimes, again, if we're like the older brother, we're like, yeah, Jesus, come now and judge all the sinners. 
And he's like, I'm going to give all of them and all of you as much time as possible to come back home, to come to the party before I do come and, and judgment does happen. God is patient. And so what he will do sometimes with us is he will give us what we want, even if he knows it's going to destroy us. And that seems, why would God do that? Because he's patient, because he's loving, because he knows if I try to hold on to them, they're going to slip out of my hands like sand. But if I give them room to breathe and think and try it on their own, they will fail miserably in some way. Yeah, they might make millions, but they're going to be miserable the whole time. Yeah, they might have a ton of social media friends, but they're not going to have any real friends. They're going to feel relationally disconnected, and they can find that in me. So he gives us enough time to basically ruin our lives on our own, if that's what we choose, to do what the Son does, come to our senses and return back home. God is patient with us. He will reason with us, just like he did with the older brother in this story. He will give us room to breathe, room to think, room to see on our own how wrong we are and how much we need to get back to the loving embrace of this father god is definitely patient with all of us and then one more scripture he forgives second corinthians 5 19 paul says for god was in christ here's what god did in christ he was reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation you see god doesn't hold a grudge as, as much as he has every right to, as much as maybe he should sometimes, he doesn't hold a grudge. He forgives. He says he doesn't count our sins against us. So it's not like he says, well, now you owe me back pay because you offended me. Or you've got to do this many things to make up for what you did against me. It's not a scale. It's, it's an all or nothing thing with God. You've sinned a lot. I'll forgive it all. You've repented of sin. Hey, it's gone. I won't count it against you. I'm not keeping score here. God forgives. God reconciles. It's the same thing the father did to the younger son. He brought him back to his position as son. All the wrongs that were done, all the things that were uneven in that relationship, the father just forgave it all. Nope, it's like day one all over again. God, through Jesus, does the same thing with us. He doesn't count our sin against us. He doesn't say, well, now you're a second tier son or daughter because you were really bad for a long time. Well, maybe you're third. Maybe, on second thought, you're maybe fourth tier. I don't, he doesn't do that. He's like, nope, we're all the same here. We're all sinners who are all forgiven by an all-loving, all-forgiving God. That's good news. That's good news. And again, the last thing that I'll say before we close is God does the same thing the Father does in that he initiates this forgiveness. He's not, see, the work that Christ has done was done 2,000 years ago. So it was done way before I ever sinned for the first time ever. God initiated forgiveness before I was ever conceived or thought about being born at all. That's the, that's the beauty and the wonder of who God is. He initiates this kind of forgiveness. He's not holding it back until I forgive. He's not holding it back until I say enough prayers the right way at the right time in the right, you know, mode. He's, is it both knees or is it the right? It's not, I'm not proposing to God, okay? That's not how this is. I don't have to get on one knee. I, I just have to say, okay, God, just like the younger son chose to do, come to my senses, say, okay, God, I've blown it. Will you take me back? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I've already done all the work, so I don't have anything left to do. You're forgiven. That's how amazing God is. He initiates this in our lives, in our relationship with him, this reconciliation, the, the imbalance in that relationship, he corrects. True forgiveness, true patience. So whether we need to come, come, come to our senses and come home like the younger brother, or whether we need to get rid of our own self-righteous, judgmental nature like the older son, either way, 
God is patient with us, and God forgives us. He's waiting for us to just say, to come back home, to come to the party. He's like, what are you waiting for? The party's in here. We're having a great time. You can join. You can find life and peace and hope and joy in me, in my house, with my love and my forgiveness, or you can stay out there and be miserable. And you can pout, and you can whine, you can cry, you can feel alone and afraid. You don't have to. Party's right here. Invitation, doors wide open. Come on home. Come on in. Enjoy what I've planned for you from the beginning of the foundation of the world, a life with a loving Father. And that's good news on this Father's Day. Let's pray. God, today, whichever son we find ourselves or we have found ourselves, maybe we have run off. Maybe we're trying right now to live life on our own. We're trying to see, I can make it and I can do it. I don't need God to give me rules. I don't need God to tell me what to do. God, help us to come to our senses. I pray that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts to keep us close to the Father and the Father's house. I also pray against this attitude of the older brother. Well, I deserve more because I've been faithful. Or God owes me because I've never left him. Or I'm, I'm better than that person because, yeah, they came back, but they really blew it big time, and so I'm, I'm better. I'm, I'm more holy. I'm more righteous. God, I pray against that spirit of judgmentalism, of, of unforgiveness, because that's not your heart at all. You want our heart to be like yours, full of patience, full of forgiveness, full of grace and mercy. So as we see people around us that are struggling, I pray that we wouldn't look down upon them, but that we would be really like the third brother in the story that's not named, but his name is Jesus, who came to take the place on the cross for our sin. He's the perfect brother in our lives. He, he did everything for us. You prepared in advance our forgiveness. And so we walk in that, we live in that, and we extend that to people around us. I know even for some here today, Father's Day may not be the most happy of days. Maybe we have strains in our relationship with our kids. And so I pray what we just read about, this message of reconciliation to just permeate our relationships. I pray that we'd live in such a way that we would draw people to us, that you would help us to have grace and peace and forgiveness in our own relationships, with our parents, with our children, with neighbors, people, at, maybe even with the current social situations, even co-workers we've, we've grown distant from for these differences. God, help us to live this life of reconciliation reconciliation between not just us and you but us and everybody else around us people of grace and peace people of patience and forgiveness just like our perfect heavenly father is toward us and as we do that we're going to find life is so much better so much freer so much more amazing as we walk in that attitude patience and forgiveness God, I pray a blessing upon all those here today as we leave. Give all the dads an awesome rest of the weekend and all of us a great weekend. Help us to enjoy you and all that we do. Give us a great week and bring us back next time ready for more of you in Jesus' name. Amen.